This is our number three of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each Sunday we get together, we talk about the news of the week, the events of our often bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. This week, Leah Brandon is off. She'll be back next week. In this hour of the program, we're going to do our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016, which usually means I start by talking about what happened this week with regard to Donald Trump. And some things did happen this week with Donald Trump, which I will get to at some point in this hour. But I want to do it slightly differently this week. I want to talk about Hillary Clinton. And I want to talk about Hillary Clinton for a couple of different reasons. One is some interesting things happened that, of course, the news media has largely, if not totally, ignored with regard to Hillary Clinton. And two, because I think that I have, um, well, I know, I have taken a lot of heat, and there's probably a lot of misunderstanding about my view of Hillary Clinton's electability. See, I have been saying for months and months that Republicans underestimate Hillary Clinton at their own peril. Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, the reality is that while she is a horrible candidate, terrible. What difference at this point does it make? She is an awful candidate, but she's going to have enormous advantages should she be the Democratic nominee, which seems to be a fait accompli. Although, one of the things I want to discuss is... The remarkable, I mean, you can't even describe properly the level of hypocrisy when it comes to the news media and their lack of coverage of what's happening with Bernie Sanders in comparison to their obsession with Donald Trump. You would believe, and I think there's some truth to this, you would believe that the Republican Party is in complete and total disarray, that they're on the verge of catastrophe because Donald Trump appears to not only be leading, but to have about somewhere between 25 and 35 percent of the national vote among likely GOP voters. And I'll agree, that's extraordinary. No one expected that, and it has the possibility to be catastrophic. But that's nothing in comparison to what Bernie Sanders is doing. NBC poll out today, and this is not an outlier, this is not way outside of what other polls have indicated, show that Bernie Sanders now has way above 40% of the vote in both Iowa and New Hampshire. He's leading New Hampshire. He's only a couple of points behind in Iowa. If you combine Iowa and New Hampshire based upon this NBC poll, Sanders is actually beating Hillary Clinton. And this guy is a devout socialist. He refers to himself as a socialist. He's a nut job as well as a socialist. And and yet there are almost no stories about the crack up going on on the Democratic side, nor about the peril that Hillary Clinton could theoretically be in. Now, let me just say, as a realist, I think that you know even if the NBC poll that came out today turns out to be accurate. And folks, we're getting darn close. We're only three weeks really away, three and a half weeks away from, from votes now. And New Hampshire's going to come right after Iowa. 
you know, there's a very good chance that not much changes between now and then. I'm of the belief that even if Sanders does as well in Iowa and New Hampshire as those polls indicate, he's not going to be able to have the legs to outrun Hillary's establishment in the long run. But he could give her a heck of a lot harder race than anybody, including myself, has currently considered. Because, again, she is a terrible candidate. People do not like her. Even Democrats do not like her. And weirdly, I think one of the things driving the Bernie Sanders candidacy at this point, and this this is rich if it's true, but it's just a theory I have at this point. There are a lot of things driving it. But one of the which might be the most dangerous for Hillary is the notion that Trump is going to be the GOP nominee. Now, follow me here, folks. The Democrats, let's, let's face facts. The Democratic base is socialist. So in their hearts, they like Bernie. They don't like Hillary personally. They would love to have a socialist in the White House. To a certain percentage, and that percentage seems to be getting close to 50%, of the Democratic base, they look at what's going on on the Republican side. They go, wow, are they really going to nominate Donald Trump? That nut job? Anybody can beat Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders said this week he thinks he could beat Trump by 15 to 20 points. I don't know if that's true. You could make an argument that Trump might get disqualified by the news media as just being too big of a buffoon for anybody but hardcore supporters to to vote for, even against a socialist nut job like Bernie Sanders. But here's the most important thing. The fact that Trump is leading on the GOP side, I think, is driving a lot of Democratic voters to go, hell, let's just let this whole thing ride. This might be our shot. Let's go with Bernie. Feel the burn. I don't know to what degree or what, what percentage I would put on that, but... I don't think it's a coincidence that as Trump has gone, Sanders has followed. And they have some similarities personality-wise. I mean, they're, they're definitely much less hesitant to, to say things that other people wouldn't say politically. So I think the worst thing for Hillary on the Democratic side is if Trump continues to win. Because if he does... I think a lot of Democrats are going to go, well, hell, anybody can beat Trump. Why not go with Sanders? Now, again, I'm not suggesting that Sanders is going to be the nominee. But what I am not just suggesting, I'm just flat out stating, is that the news media's hypocrisy on this narrative that the Republican Party is in disarray because of Donald Trump. And look, the Republican Party is in disarray in large part because of Donald Trump, and it could end up being catastrophic depending on how it all works out. But you could make at least as compelling an argument that the Democratic Party is in exactly the same boat because they got a nut job who's getting a far greater percentage of the vote in the polls than Donald Trump is, and their presumptive nominee is at least on paper in trouble. The Republicans didn't have a presumptive nominee that was supposed to be coronated. The Democrats did. The news media is going to ignore it till they, they can't ignore it anymore. 
but it's really striking, even by the news media standards. When we come back, with regard to this socialism question, I want to play a clip that shows just the remarkable advantages that Hillary Clinton has when it comes to the news media, because she actually got asked whether she's a socialist this week. And the way she got asked and her non-answer was quite remarkable and I think very, very telling. We'll do that, plus a whole lot more when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah is off this week. Once again, we're, we're hitting it out of the park with the uh, the bumper music because um, I'm going to mention uh, Philadelphia in just a moment. Obviously, that's the uh, the Rocky theme music. And, of course, uh, Sylvester Stallone ended up winning a, glo- a Golden Globe Award tonight, mainly because it's a great narrative and he's a big celebrity, which is all the... Golden Globes really cares about, but he he ended up winning a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor almost exactly 40 years, 40 years for the same character, 40 years after having been nominated and not winning for the original Rocky. An amazing story. It'd be even more amazing if it was based or if you had any faith that it was based in reality or acting or substance, but it's not. See, the narrative is everything now. So... A narrative drives itself. The Golden Gloves loves that narrative. Sylvester Stallone getting the award 40 years later for the same character. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the way things work in this day and age. Because we always want to see something we haven't seen before. We, we, you know, Real life, I guess, is too boring. So we have to create excitement and interesting storylines. And that one you can see from a million miles away. Based upon the other awards in the Golden Globes, that was a large part of what was driving all the awards. Who were the biggest celebrities? If you showed up, you won. That's the Golden Globes. All right. Now, back to the race to the White House 2016. And the reason I'm mentioning Philadelphia is because Hillary Clinton was asked a question that was a really good question by a guy from Philadelphia, a guy who actually grew up with my mother's family in the Somerton section of Philadelphia, Chris Matthews, a guy who I've actually spent some time with. I I don't have a very high opinion of him, not just because he's a liberal, but I think he's mostly a fraud, and and frankly, he's weird. Um, But he likes to think of himself as a conservative Democrat, but he's not. I don't think such a thing even exists anymore, conservative Democrats. Anyway, the reason why I'm playing this clip from Chris Matthews has nothing to do with my interaction with him in the past or him having grown up with my mother's family in Somerton section of Philadelphia, but this is interesting from two different perspectives. I want you to listen to Chris Matthews asking an incredibly legitimate question in a way that where he almost, basically he apologizes. He, he says to her, it's okay if you don't want to answer or something to that effect, you know, do you not want to answer this? And then she doesn't answer the question and he totally lets her off the hook. And the question is a good one. You're running against a socialist in Bernie Sanders. What's the difference between you and a socialist? And here's what that sounded like on MSNBC. What's the difference between a socialist and a Democrat? 
Well, is that a question you want to answer, or would you rather not? Well, uh, you know, I, you'd have to ask. Well, see, I'm asking have, you. You're well, a Democrat. He's a socialist. Do you, would you like somebody to call you a socialist? I wouldn't like somebody calling well, me a socialist. But I'm, I'm not one. Okay. I well, mean, what's I'm, the difference I'm between a socialist one. and a Democrat? Last well, question. I can tell you what I am. I am a progressive uh -huh. Democrat. I'm a progressive How's Democrat. How's that different than a socialist? Who likes to get things done and who believes that okay. we are better off in this okay. country when we're trying to solve problems together, getting people right. to work together. There will always be strong feelings and I respect that from you know the far right the far left uh, libertarians but uh, whoever it might be we need to get people working together we got to get the economy fixed okay. we got to get all of our problems you know really know. tackled and that's I, what I, I think I the difference do. is and uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz wouldn't ask the question either I asked her because I know politically you have to keep together the center left and the left has to work together I know all that <laughs> now, Chris Matthews if you could you could probably tell if you were listening carefully wasn't buying any of it I mean, he was basically, yeah, 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 whatever. You're not answering the question. No follow-up. Doesn't force her to answer the question, because after all, he's already told her. He's already given the out. You don't want to answer that question. Go ahead. Don't answer it. So, of course, she doesn't, because there's no good answer. And, in fact, it's much worse than even Chris Matthews made it seem there. Because not only is there no difference, really, now between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders— a progressive Democrat is a socialist in this day and age. But it's much worse than that because the last time Hillary ran for president in 2008, she was not a socialist at all. I, I, I've been following politics incredibly closely, especially presidential politics, since I was a nine-year-old kid in 1976. Every election, I could probably, you know, from someone my age, 48, I could probably tell you more about each of those elections than anybody else my age. And my predictions have been about 100% when it comes to the, the nominating processes and the, the general elections. And I have never seen a candidate change more dramatically from one cycle to the next, run for president twice as two totally different people on the issue of illegal immigration, on the issue of guns, on the issue of gay marriage, on the issue of uh, the military. I mean, this is a woman who was in favor of the Iraq war. I mean, in 2008, she was one of those conservative Democrats Chris Matthews was talking about, allegedly conservative, not really super conservative, but more so than she is today. They don't exist anymore. And that's why She's not pretending to be one, but she can't say she's socialist because that's still a buzzword. See, that's the that's something that, you know, even the the who determined presidential elections could understand if she declared herself to be a socialist, that would still have a stigma to it. But these are the advantages that she has in a general election. She gets finally asked a decent question. She doesn't have to answer it. She gets let off the hook. And she gets to be a totally different person than she was in 2008 with no repercussions for that at all because the news media is completely in the tank for her. All right. When we come back, we'll shift to the Republican side in our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016 and some interesting things going on with Donald Trump on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brand will be back next week. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com where you can check out each and every one of the 22 different radio stations, most of them in major markets, which carry the John and Leah Show on a weekly basis. We are doing this week, or this hour, our weekly feature, the Race to the White House 2016. And before we move on to the Republican side, one other note, which uh, slipped my mind, what I remember during the uh, the break, regarding Hillary Clinton. And this, again, goes to my general theme on Hillary Clinton, which is she is an awful, terrible, horrendous candidate, but she has huge advantages that Republicans cannot and should not underestimate and decide that they can just put up anybody they want, i.e. Donald Trump, and hope to defeat her. What difference at this point does it make? What I'm referring to specifically is, and I'm sure you didn't hear about this. I'm not sure, but I would make a pretty good bet you didn't hear about this. But can you imagine if Donald Trump had said the following? She said in an interview that even when she's president, she will get to the bottom of whether or not we have been visited by aliens from outer space. Not making this up, not exaggerating. She even said she thought it was possible that we had been visited by aliens from outer space. What was the mainstream news media reaction to this? I think we actually have it right here. Yeah, there it is. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Donald Trump had said the same thing? And by the way, you know, with Trump, it wouldn't be as absurd as it is with Hillary. And here's why. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but Hillary and Bill were already in the White House for eight years, had access to every bit of information about aliens that might exist today. Not much has changed. In fact, The odd thing about aliens, which obviously I don't believe in, the odd thing is that at the very moment that we now live in a world where everybody has a camera with them 24-7, photos and evidence of aliens and UFOs has completely stopped. Not one shred of evidence of a UFO or aliens or what have you, because they don't exist. And it's absurd logically, to say that we've been visited. That makes no sense whatsoever at all. And Hillary, I would like to believe, knows that it makes no sense. But it doesn't matter. She's appealing to a fringe group for whatever reason. She decided that, you know, UFO junkies, she might be able to get them to vote for her. So she does this with no blowback, with no punishment, with no price to be paid. That's why she's going to be formidable. Not because she's a good candidate, but because she has so many huge, or as Donald Trump might say, huge advantages. Now, speaking of Trump, that NBC poll that I already discussed that was tremendous news for Bernie Sanders, in some ways was good news for Donald Trump. What's amazing about how this race in the GOP side is evolving or not evolving is that it's going exactly as I have predicted months ago. And for proof, you can go to my own personal website, John Ziegler, that's Z-I-E-G-L-E-R, johnziegler.com. Check out the, I think it's the most recent column or one of the most recent columns I wrote for Mediate, where I laid out in condemning Nate Silver, the alleged 
numerical statistical guru that the left media loves. Uh, he's been outspoken saying that Trump's a fraud, that, that Trump's not going to win the nomination, not going to come close. He's, his support will fade fast, which theoretically could still happen, but I don't think there's any evidence of that. And in that column, I said, look, this is how it's all going to work out. Depending on how Trump does in Iowa, which is critical to him because it's basically like opening night of a play or opening weekend of a movie for him, more than any other candidate because he's so unusual, so unique. But depending on how he does in Iowa, this whole thing is going to come down to Trump, Cruz, and Rubio. If Rubio is able to shake off Bush and Christie and Kasich in New Hampshire and and have the the moderates, the so-called moderates establishment wing, galvanize around him. And that Ben Carson would slowly fade away. And boy, it has been a slow fade, but he's still there in fourth place. And, I, you know, he'll still play a role in Iowa, New Hampshire, maybe South Carolina. But for all intents and purposes, it's going to be those three. Well, that's exactly what this poll shows. And in Iowa, it shows that Ted Cruz is winning, but not by much. And then in New Hampshire, Trump is dominating. I got to tell you, I think this is a tremendous position for Donald Trump to be in. And I've said this before in this program. I think that it is critical for Trump to finish a strong second in Iowa. By definition, or my definition of a strong second in Iowa is 23% of the vote or better and stay within, say, you know, single digits of Cruz. That is exceedingly doable at this point. It does not appear as if Cruz is going to run away and hide in Iowa. Trump, I mean, as we've said before, everything seems to go his way. With me, it just works. You know, it's magic. Through no real skill of his own, I don't think, he's getting some breaks. Santorum and Huckabee have started to attack Cruz on the evangelical side. And, you know, Trump has now thrown out this citizenship issue, which I'll I'll get to momentarily because I, I, I have a different take on this thing than, than I think most people do. But back to what's going on here. Trump needs a strong second or better in Iowa. In fact, a strong second in Iowa might be his best scenario. Because if he's a strong second, it's going to, he'll basically, what's going to happen is he'll stomp all over Cruz's, you know, victory speech. He'll claim it was a tie. He'll get much, much, most of the news media coverage. And New Hampshire tends to vote for whoever came in second in Iowa anyway. And so he then wins New Hampshire and goes into South Carolina with a whole heap load of momentum and maybe the moderate establishment wing not yet coalescing around Marco Rubio, who's the only person who could theoretically be formidable against Trump and Cruz in the long run here, in my opinion. So this is all working out exceedingly well for Donald Trump. Not that I think that that's good for the cause of beating Hillary, because as I've said numerous times, while I would love for Trump to beat Hillary, I don't see it happening. And this NBC poll has further fodder for my theory. In fact, it's it's ludicrously obvious that my theory is correct, because by far Donald Trump does the worst against Hillary of any of the top contenders, both nationally as well as against her in Iowa and against her in New Hampshire. So let's let's do the math on this. 
This is a poll that's good for Trump in both Iowa and New Hampshire on the Republican side. And yet, despite that good sample size for him, that good pool of Republican voters, so you can't argue this is a bad sample for Trump, despite that, Hillary kicks his ass in Iowa, a state she doesn't do well in, kicks his ass in New Hampshire, kicks his ass nationally, while she gets her own butt whipped by Marco Rubio in Iowa, New Hampshire, and nationally. Now, to be fair, she also gets her butt whipped by Ted Cruz. But there's a difference. See, Ted Cruz has a major problem that Marco Rubio does not. That's not going to come to fruition unless and until he's the nominee. And it's amazing to me that no one has raised this. But Ted Cruz has a huge Achilles heel. And that is that there's something that he's done that the average person, you know what I'm talking about, who decide presidential elections will be easily able to understand and will disqualify him from ever getting their vote for president against someone they perceive to be qualified, Hillary Clinton, assuming she's the nominee. And that is he shut down the government. You can't get beyond that, folks. You just cannot, in a, in a world where about 50% of the voting electorate in a presidential election relies on government assistance or has friends and family who do, and that probably makes it over 50%, you cannot be the guy who shut down the government for his own personal benefit. And then, by the way, just to make it even more bizarre, entertaining, and dangerous, during his filibuster on the floor of the Senate, was reading Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham. Boy, that video clip is going to destroy him if he's ever the nominee. And I realize conservatives say, but John, no, he can argue this and that. No, 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 no. You don't get to do that when you're a Republican. You do not get to make a nuanced argument on that. Sorry, he shut down the government. His own party vehemently disagreed with him on it. And... The American people will not trust him to be president because if he did it as a U.S. senator, he'd be even more dangerous as a U.S. president because then he could really do it instead of just for a few hours. So Ted Cruz cannot beat Hillary Clinton. In fact, I think Donald Trump has a far better chance of beating Hillary Clinton than Ted Cruz. I think Ted Cruz is, would lose almost every single time, barring indictment, which I don't see happening for Hillary Clinton. All right, now when we come back, speaking of Ted Cruz, I want to – chime in on this citizenship issue where Trump is, um, I don't know, I can never tell whether Trump is just getting lucky or if he's brilliant or somewhere in between, but we'll talk about it when we come back. Final segment of this edition of the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the final segment of this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host Leah Brandon will be back next week where we'll be talking about, I'm sure she's hoping, a victory by the Alabama Crimson Tide in the National Championship college football game as well as the Republican debate, which is scheduled for Thursday of this week. Looking forward to discussing that. And one of the um, 
stories that really has dominated the uh, the GOP race narrative for the last week or two, which is really remarkable and an incredible testament to Donald Trump's ability to dominate the news media, is the notion that Ted Cruz might not be eligible to be president. Now, um, full disclosure, I mean, this is an issue that I've actually... I've been somewhat acquainted with in my life because, you know, as a kid, you're, you know, you dream big and you think, well, can I be president? Am I eligible? And I was born in a military base in Heidelberg, Germany, because my father was was stationed in Germany. So I was not born in America, but by all accounts, um, not that this will matter because I have zero chance, even less chance than Donald Trump has of ever being elected to anything. But uh, theoretically, uh, I am eligible, especially now that I'm over 35 years old, uh, to be president of the United States. Now, both my parents were citizens at the time. And obviously, the fact that I was on a military base, uh, if you believe John McCain, uh, that plays uh, at least some role in deciding whether or not your uh, citizenship qualifies as a natural born citizen. Now, the interesting thing about Ted Cruz is he was born in Canada. And only one, apparently, apparently one of his parents, his mother, was a U.S. citizen at the time. Now, there has been some disagreement over what the definition is. Does one parent qualify you? The way I have read it, I think it probably does, but I don't think it's ever been tested. At least not enough to know for sure. Interestingly, John McCain has said although it's important to point out that McCain doesn't like Cruz very much, has said that he's not certain whether Cruz is eligible and that it ought to be looked at. And Trump, in his savant-like fashion, has pretended that that's all he's doing. Look, I'm just trying to save the Republican Party a problem here. This should be looked at because, you know, you wouldn't want to have a nominee not be eligible and have to go to court and all of that. You know, I'm not saying he's ineligible. I'm just saying we ought to look at this. Well, you know, that's rather disingenuous. Um, By the way, I I don't believe that Trump has been as inconsistent on this as some in the media have tried to portray him as being. The statements I've seen from him on this in the past, well, you know, it's it's Trump. So sometimes, depending on his mood, he's going to be more emphatic about it than other times. But every time I've seen him discuss Cruz's eligibility, he's always left the door open that, Hey, look, I don't know for sure this hasn't been determined to 100% satisfaction from a legal standpoint. Because we just don't know. I mean, when you look at it, it's almost like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin when you're trying to define this thing. But here's what's really going on, all right? Here's, here's the reality of it. Trump's a smart guy, all right? And he has done two things very effectively by raising this this eligibility issue, which, by the way, only he can do. If any of the other candidates had tried to do this, they would not have been nearly as effective. But all Trump is trying to do is, one, knock Cruz off a message, which he's been able to do, because now Cruz is the front runner in Iowa, and when you're the front runner, you get more scrutiny. So this was the perfect time to break this out, because now the media feels like, well, it's our obligation to take a closer look at the front runner for the Iowa caucuses, So it was perfectly timed that way. The other thing that Trump is trying to do here is to educate voters, specifically in Iowa, that Trump was not born in America. Now, 
I don't know how many people care about that. But I think that some people might be surprised. What? He wasn't, he's not born in America? He's born in Canada? He's a senator from Texas. How did that happen? And so it's not going to be a huge number of people. It doesn't impact a, a large number of votes, but it's not going to take a large number of votes in Iowa. I mean, we're talking about a couple of thousand votes in either direction can easily, easily be the difference between winning and losing. I mean, heck, last time Santorum ended up beating Mitt Romney by like a couple of dozen votes. If you get 35 to 40,000 votes in Iowa, you win. And so that's all I think Trump is trying to do here. Not cruise off stride and educate people that he was not born in this country. And I think it's working to a certain degree. That, that NBC poll shows that Cruz's lead is now only a couple of points in Iowa. And most interestingly, and this is really the key. I mean, I, I've been saying for months that I've never seen Iowa be more important because of the Trump phenomenon, even though I'm somebody that thinks Iowa ought to be irrelevant. I mean, it's a stupid process, and Iowa is not the state that ought to be determining this. But this year, it's huge because we're going to find out, you know, basically how big Donald Trump's wee-wee is because we don't know yet. We don't know what his percentage of the vote is. Well, based upon this poll that came out on NBC today, and I agree with it because this has been my theory all along, if you use a different turnout model and more people turn out for the Iowa caucuses, Trump is actually winning or at least tied with Ted Cruz in Iowa. So when the Iowa caucuses happen, in my view, and this is the conventional wisdom, so I'm always hesitant to adopt the conventional wisdom because conventional wisdom is usually wrong, especially when it's created by the news media. But I do believe this is true. The night of the Iowa caucuses, we're going to be able to tell how Trump did before we get any results. Again, we're going to have to trust that the news media is telling us the truth about the nature of the turnout. But if we're getting reports of huge turnout, and they're legitimate reports as opposed to bogus reports, because sometimes the news media screws even that up. I mean, you know, they only get to cover this once every four years, so they, they might not have, a very, not have a very good handle on what turnout really is as comparison to past years. But if there is huge turnout in Iowa, look out. Because Trump's either going to win or come darn close to it. All the turnout models indicate that. So if he's able to get these fringe voters that haven't really been part of the process in the past to show up, he's going to win Iowa or come damn close. He'll then win New Hampshire. And I don't see, at this point, the establishment rallying around Marco Rubio fast enough to where he can stop him in South Carolina. Now, that doesn't mean Trump's going to be the nominee under that scenario, but he's got a hell of a head start, and it does mean he's going to be there till the convention. And I have been saying since day one, if Trump is there to the convention, then the nomination, no matter who gets it, is basically going to be worthless. Because a, a convention dominated by Donald Trump is not going to be conducive to beating Hillary Clinton, whether he's the nominee or not. And it's going to be a bloodbath under that scenario. So... Iowa is everything, and Trump is handling this in a rather mischievous way, but I think it's actually brilliant. I think he, whether he realizes it or not, he's handling this exactly correctly to cause as much chaos as he possibly can. And we'll see whether or not that continues 
at the debate on Thursday, which we'll have full coverage of next Sunday on the John and Leah show. And as I said, Leah Brandon will be back, hopefully, for her celebrating a victory for her Alabama Crimson Tide of the National Championship game on Monday. You can check out the podcast for all of the John and Leah shows at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. But Monday morning, uh, you'll be able to check out this entire show, which was frankly a pretty good one, even without Leah Brandon. So uh, do check that out at www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. Until then, have a great week. I'll see you next week. My name is John Ziegler. You've been listening to the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.